Welcome to Descender from Klarna, a podcast where we dive deep into the design topics we all think about but don't talk about enough. I'm Melanie Lovebird, a product designer at Klarna. Each episode of our show this season, we've chosen a big global topic and hope to bring the conversation down to the real world as our designers reflect on how they're tackling it in their daily work lives. This week, we're talking with Jack True and Louis True about sustainability. Jack True is a UK-born, Stockholm-based product designer who believes we need better design practices to change our relationship to technology. Before joining Klarna to work on our in-app CO2 emissions tracker, Jack designed across many disciplines, including experimental, production, educational, interaction, and illustration. Years ago, Jack also was shortlisted as an international finalist for the James Dyson Award for his low-cost bicycle-powered centrifugal invention for performing blood tests in some of the world's most remote locations. Lastly, like any true Brit, he loves fish and chips and recently began experimenting in the hope to create the perfect vegan fish and chip recipe and impress his Swedish neighbors. So I am curious, what experimentation have you done for your vegan fish adventures, Jack? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny one coming to Sweden and yeah, just, just being a complete stereotype. I mean, I've only been here for eight weeks, something like that. But yeah, the biggest experiment has probably been just trying to keep the house not smelling like fried food. And also how, how the hell do you make that sort of thing at home? But yeah, toying with the idea of using tofu and seaweed to try and get that, that flavor. I realize I'm absolutely killing like an iconic dish. So keen not to say too much, <laughs> but that's it kind of, it's a nice thing to do outside of design and yeah. They might not let you back in the UK if you tell about all the, the ways you're yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ruining your one. Great. So next up, we have Louis True, who is a UK-based art director at Enviral, where he helps purpose-driven brands stand out through bold and brave marketing with an ethical drive. In that role, he recently led the creative for Greenpeace's The Big Plastic Count campaign, encouraging households up and down the UK to take part in, as the name suggests, the country's biggest ever investigation into single-use plastics. Taking a break from the screen, he likes to get his hands dirty as an avid collage artist, digging through stacks of magazines to splice together imagery. You can find him and his art on Instagram at Louis Chur. So I'm actually also an avid collager, although I wouldn't call myself an artist just yet because I'm not very good at it. But I would love to know where you source the magazines for, for your collage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, who isn't a collage artist these days? You see so many across sort of Instagram. I never reveal my sources. No, that's not true. It's not true at all. But I do try and sort of steer clear of, I guess, the conventional sort of national geographics. There seems to be this sort of endless sea of them at the moment and I go to try and find like free or found imagery. So that might be sort of the flies you get through the door of the junk mail at a train station or something. I'll try and use sort of topical images if I can, again, in those sort of flyers, but yeah, it really is everywhere and everywhere and everywhere and anywhere that I'll try and get those images from to create that sort of perfect image uh, that I'm looking for. I guess the more contemporary the image, it sort of brings it to more of a sort of Photoshop-y type space, which is quite interesting. It's trying to get it as close to being a digital item as you can, but still within sort of analog means. But yeah, I'd love to see some of your work after this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I love collaging because I feel like I've always been bad at drawing or painting. And so it feels like something creative I can do without actually having like real talent on my side. I feel like I'm just stealing from other people <laughs> and then making things, you know, which is kind of like what design does in general a lot as well. But yeah. <laughs> cool. So to start things off, I would really just like to know how the two of you both got into the area of sustainability. Listeners maybe can't see is that despite having the same last name, you are both are actually also identical twins. So it's just coincidence that you ended up in the same industry or what kind of pulled each of you into focusing on ability within your creative design? I mean, this will be quite a funny answer in the sense that they probably won't be able to tell either of us apart, I'd imagine. <laughs> just like one person talking. <laughs> <laughs> 
um so yeah it's it's gonna be a strange conversation but yeah i, I mean i can kick things off first. i i I would say it's purely a coincidence. Uh, it's probably not coincidence we're both in design. I think if you live with someone in the same boxy room for about 16 years, you're, you're going to become like the same person eventually. Where we were always interested in yeah, creative stuff, design in general. And yeah, maybe, maybe we just got a bit envious of each other and, and we were like, oh, who can do that better? And yeah, we just, I don't know, assumed the same life path. But yeah, and sustainability. In general, yeah, I, I think that's purely random for, for myself. It, it, it's just always been an interest. And then when the opportunity came up, I mean, we're all creative here, right? It's it, it's a dream to, to do design, but then do design for good. A lot of people say, like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm designing and I'm creating an amazing product. I'm doing this good thing, but it's very rare that you can say, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely making the world a better place kind of each day. So yeah, that's... Uh, I take on it. I, I don't know if Louis has got a, a better take or. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree with that. This isn't Jack Toggy and this is Louis. But yeah, I think growing up, we were definitely influenced by each other and would push each other, I think, to get the best out of each other. It's that weird sort of competitive nature that you get with twins. But we found we both ended up in design, which I think was quite a natural fit for both of us. I guess, interestingly, we both wound up originally in product design before transitioning to sort of other creative routes and. I, I guess, yes, it is a coincidence that we're in sustainability, but I think we've always been driven by sort of that work that does good or sort of that purpose doing design, design or sort of creative outputs for a real sort of purpose and end goal. And I think as Jack sort of said, we're really lucky to be sort of putting out work that has a real impact on the world. And there is that idea that I guess sometimes that design that does good can't be good design. So it's quite nice to challenge that and say, actually, you can put out some really great design that's doing good work in the world as well. And I guess as well, the market ever is having to consider sustainability and an ethical angle. Now it's not so, it's not such a niche environment, I think. Most agencies or most sort of in-house design teams will have to consider sustainability in some sense now. And if you're not doing that, you're probably going to get left behind. So it was probably, it was the odds are against us, I think, in landing in a sustainable sort of job. But yeah, I think slowly, maybe not even knowing it, we've both been sort of heading towards that sort of direction. I think, as you mentioned, there is this idea of like designing for good. Did you feel in previous roles that you weren't being fulfilled in that way? Or was it just something that, you know, you enjoyed it and you kind of just fell into it? I'm sure you can look back for our, our, our early portfolios and, and see where we're focused on like fun and just wild ideas and and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I, I guess as you mature and the, the more and more we compare and cross-examine each other's work and what, what we're doing, the more appealing it is when, when let's say Louis is like, oh, I'm working on this cool project and I, it's, it's amazing the difference I'm making here. And I, I guess, yeah, you become quite envious of, oh, wow, like, well, what am I doing? And you cut back at your work. And even though it's like, I've had the opportunity to design some really amazing projects. And you know, a few years ago, I, I helped design a wine museum. But yeah, you, you, you kind of look back and it's like, I, I guess it's good. It, 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 it's great for tourism and stuff like that. But yeah, it's uh, maybe just mentalities shifted a bit over time and what, what's important and meaningful. Yeah, maybe, maybe that changed as well. But maybe ask me the same question like 10 years. <laughs> but might, might change. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. And I'd say my answer is probably a little different to that and that to do the role before this one I had. I spent quite a long sort of stint working within a sort of healthcare to put out creative campaigns as well. And it was there that I sort of get got that love and that drive to do sort of meaningful work and work that was going to sort of really affect people's lives. And then 
I, I think once I'd sort of done that for a sort of period of time and really wanted a new challenge and a new change, I couldn't then just go back to sort of just branding exercises or packaging. It had to be something else that was going to sort of make a difference or sort of have some sort of sense of purpose. And that's how I found myself sort of within sustainability. Whereas I guess normally that would probably be the other way around in that you weren't, as you say, sort of fulfilled in your role and wanted to get a bit more to do a sense of reward or doing sort of good within what you're doing. Whereas I, I think I already had that bug and I, I wanted to continue it. I, I would have felt that I was perhaps failing myself if I went to another industry or space. And it's maybe a bit of a, a bolder question, but do you currently like feel fulfilled in the work that you're doing? Do you feel that you're able to, to make an impact? I think for me, I do. I, I think there it can be a little disheartening sometimes when you see sort of the news coverage and uh, everything else is going on in the world. It can be sort of filled with negativity and it feels like you're battling this sort of sea that's against you. But I think it's the small sort of change of mindset that you sometimes get with engagement with whatever you're putting out into the world. And it's those sort of little small wins or sharing a campaign or something you've done. And you can take some, I just you can take some sort of enjoyment and some sort of sense of reward in that is those small little moments. Yes, yeah, not all going to happen at once. We're not going to fix this sort of problem that we're in, but it's that sort of small turning of heads that's slowly going to build. And yeah, I think it's a, it's a long game to be working in sustainability, but it's yeah, changing those minds on a daily basis and sort of changing attitudes and things towards sustainability that I think you get a real sort of sense of satisfaction out of like you couldn't in a sort of any other industry almost. I don't know that you'd get that within a packaging or sort of branding fields per se that sort of existed out of it. But what about you, Jack? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd completely agree with that, to be honest. And I think it's like you said, it's, it's yeah, it's not disheartening, but it, it, it's certainly a slow burn. And I think you, you make these really small incremental steps and trying to change hundreds of years of mentality and behavior. It, it's, it's, it's a really hard and challenging task. And yeah, I, I, I believe no one who works in sustainability would say it's like a, com like a, a super simple issue we're trying to solve. It's, it's super complex and there's so many angles you've got to consider, but it, it is quite nice. Even if you've had a tough week or maybe something didn't quite bring about the impact you wanted it to, you can step back like after maybe a few months or a few weeks and, and you just, you, you do spot those changes and you see that positive trend. And I guess for me, that that's what makes me get up every morning. It's, it's, it's just seeing that we are, we are making a difference and it can be a bit of a, a slog at times, but yeah, it's, it, it's a very rewarding, yeah, I guess sector to be in. And it's only going to get better. So it's, it's like, I, I think more people are, are kind of getting on board and, and, and wanting to, yeah, I don't know, produce sustainable design or, or ideas and. It's becoming less gimmicky now. And like, like Louis said at the start of the call, it's, yeah, it, it, it's becoming a less niche idea, right? It, it, it's being embedded into kind of everyday life. And I guess that makes a lot of conversations and yeah, a lot of decisions far easier. So yeah, it's, I don't know if that answered your question. But, um, yeah, I think, I think either one of you can answer this. Maybe what is, what are your opinions on focusing on the first part of preventing certain behaviors? You know, preventing people contributing more CO2 or, or anything that would be damaging the environment versus these other initiatives that are more for potentially after you've, you've done something harmful or less like contributing back or putting something back, you know, the plant a tree, a concept. So just curious your, your opinions on that. Yeah, I, I think it's a sort of double-edged sword there. I, I don't think necessarily one's better than the other. If you can get a sort of successful outcome out of either of those approaches, it it's a, it's a win-win, so to speak. I, I think sometimes there can be a sort of 
misconception almost with the sort of the reactive approach to that and sort of the damage is done, let's sort of do something to compensate for it or try and sort of offset it by planting a tree. And that isn't the sort of solution to this. I think you do need to start by changing people's sort of mindsets, habits, and sort of behaviors that have been built up over time. So it probably, though that's the sort of harder shift, it's not that immediate solution like you might get with the sort of planting a tree and trying to sort of solve the problem once it's happened. I, I think the solution will be, or part of the solution will be in sort of changing the mindset, changing how we do things right at the sort of the start of that sort of process versus right at the end. But I, I think there's positives in both. And I think so long as you're having some sort of in, impact and action, then it's all good. And then it's, yeah, how we can bring about those changes on both sides, I think, to get the best outcome. I, I would agree. You captured that really well. I, I, I guess I would say as well, it's, it, it's far. Well, it seems a lot easier to make that change at the start of a customer's journey rather than at the, the latter end. You're, you're often creating films, feelings of guilt or shame. If you're saying, hey, this is what you've done. Now you've got to make up for it. It's, it, it's certainly a, a, a nicer approach to give that information right at the start and then allow people to make those decisions themselves. And if they want to, amazing. And maybe it's not something that they, they want to do initially, but like Louis said, at, at the end of that experience or in the future, maybe, maybe they can have really meaningful impact in a different way. And I think it's just providing as many options for as many different people as possible and just allowing them to see what works for them. And I, I don't think there's one solution by any means. So lots of angles and, and lots of complex issues surrounding it all as well. And lots of new research as well. So I'm sure there'll be another solution in the future that will also help create a lot of positive impact when, when it comes to shopping and stuff like that. It's interesting. You, you mentioned guilt, like, do you feel that guilt is almost like a positive emotion that you can play into, or is there other, it seems like that, that may be the, the most obvious way to, after someone has made a certain decision to make them make action, but also it's not the most pleasant emotional, though sometimes it may be effective in, in actually changing behavior. I think honestly, before I came into this role, I might have had the mindset that maybe we could, we could lean on that a little bit and, and when we can really drive change in a good way, but having those uncomfortable conversations, but the, the more, more work we do, the more research we do and the, the more actual discussions we have with our customers, I, I'm, I'm finding that the complete opposite. We, that no one should feel guilty for shopping and we, we shouldn't be adding any more negative feelings onto that experience. And it's. Because ultimately it's, it's not really the shopper's fault that these emissions are being created. Like what, 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 what a shopper should have is they should have, they should be armed with a wealth of knowledge about what, what are sustainable products or what, how can you shop online in, 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 a, in a good way. And even if they make these really small changes to their, their shopping behavior or just, just these, these really small steps, I, I, I think any small step a consumer takes, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge cause for celebration. And I, I'm definitely very against any feelings of, or creating, and then, then using any feelings of guilt or shame. It, it should really be, we just celebrate when we do things right. And, and if we don't, let, let's, let's try and provide as much information. So someone might be able to use that in the future and, and, and they can decide what they want to do. And, and also like, if we can help, I don't know, change the view on sustainable clothing and, and, and stuff like that in the industry. Like we should do that as a, a platform ourselves and 
I mean, it'd be brilliant in 50 years time if, if the only products you could buy were sustainable products and, and no one's having to make these decisions or feel bad or good about their shopping, but uh, you, you could unpack that for, for hours. I totally agree with that as well. And I'd, I'd say you're totally right there with, I don't think in this, in any sustainable space that the owner should be on the individual here. I think that's something that's been sort of pushed, I think, traditionally by sort of big brands and sort of companies within industry saying, oh, it's actually the individual's fault here. But if we can shift that sort of onus from the individual to look back at the companies who are putting out most of these emissions and everything else and get them to make the real change. I, I think as Jack sort of alluded to, we can definitely shift that onus and that feeling of guilt away from the individual. It should never be placed on the individual. And it's sort of the systems that need to slowly change to allow them to sort of continue shopping or whatever else it is they do, travel to work. But that sort of said, I, I think there's also something quite nice about having those honest conversations about how people do feel in this space. A lot of people have got a level of anxiety. You, you do get a level of shame in doing things that, you know, probably aren't best for the planet, but maybe it's a convenience to you. And there, there's something as well, I think, about being transparent with those conversations and tapping into sort of people's mindsets on a daily basis and some sort of quite interesting things can come out of that space. But I, I definitely agree with, I, I don't think we should be sort of shaming here, particularly on the individual, but there, maybe there's a, there's a cause and reason to shift that shame back onto the, the brands and the bigger sort of polluters within the industry to get them to make real action. And that's when I guess the community can have real power in coming together. Yeah. Have either of you had any experience successfully with that? Because I think you bring up a good point around, you know, we can there's almost obviously a conversation that happens often of, oh, like what, what's the purpose of me recycling, like me individual recycling, if these larger companies are not making the changes that they need to make. So do you feel like in your roles as creatives, is it our responsibility to get each individual to make smaller changes? Or do you feel it's more responsible for them to activate people so that they are trying to make pushes towards the larger companies to make change? Yeah, I, I would definitely say like the, 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 the most impact is going to be from leveraging these communities, those who care about sustainability and really raising their voices and asking for change from the governments or the, these big multinational companies. And I, I think as soon as there's a, not enough interest, but as soon as those voices are big enough and they start getting heard, that, that's where the real change will come from. And it'll just filter down into legislation or the way these companies can operate. But again, yeah, it's a, I, I don't think you can have one or the other or say it's a, that one is going to have a huge amount more impact because e equally, if we, if we can encourage, if you can encourage individuals just to take tiny steps, of, of course, it's going to be better for the environment and better, better for the planet. A lot of thing we, things we see time and time again, like uh, especially in testing, is that we, we list small suggestive steps you can take and other customers are just like, wow, I, I did not know, like if I bundled my shopping together, like you can in some cases, reduce emissions. And it's a really small steps. And it's, it's these, you always see these like aha moments. It's like, oh, wow, I, I was expecting you to ask for money in this situation, or it was really going to be quite a time consuming act that I'd have to do. And it's, it's may, maybe that paired with raising voices and concerns is a really good step in the right direction. But again, like if, if the only way you could shop was a sustainable way, like there, there would be no real issues. Right. So I, I think if we can get there in the future, that, that, that would be the the best approach and until we do it it's it's a bit of a balancing act and just trying to encourage people to to do do what they can and do the best they can 
I don't know if you've got uh, any, anything to add to that at all. No, I, I'd agree with that. I, I don't think there's a best case approach to this. I don't think it's just on the individual or a community sort of action, sort of powered campaign is more effective. I think sometimes in the industry, we can operate in a bit of a sort of echo chamber where everything we're pushing just goes to those who are already interested and actually you need to convert or get everyone on board to make the real change happen. And some of those individuals, they're sort of the people who aren't so involved in the sort of world of sustainability, they perhaps won't, won't want to become part of this sort of community or this sort of rallying cry. They might not be going out protesting, but they still want to make a difference and they can do that with these sort of small incremental changes. And even if they're not connected to a wider group, if you get a bunch of these sort of individuals making changes, then it's so that it can have the same power as everyone coming together. I think a nice sort of example of that, I worked on a recent campaign. I mean, the results had just about to be published for that, but that was for Greenpeace and doing their sort of campaign to launch the big plastic count, which was a week long sort of investigation, the UK's biggest investigation into counting sort of single use plastics that sort of individual households used across the week. And by doing so, sort of the results and the findings that would come away from that, so it'd be sort of. Uh, to work out what one, how many single-use plastics are we using, and then to use those sort of findings to work out how much of those went to recycling, how much of those then would go to incineration or to, to be shipped overseas. And by doing so, that sort of collective count, it wasn't necessarily these people coming together to join a community, but acting in individual sort of isolation, the results pulled together, it became this sort of really strong and powerful data set to push a large sort of body like the government to make real change. Here's the sort of, here are the findings we, we now have, and we can present these in a really credible way. So I, I guess that sort of coming together can have real power and real action without having to become part of a community or go out on the streets and start protesting. It can be this really sort of small actions or just counting in that case, and that can bring about real change. Yeah, I think for that as well, do you, you both mentioned the fact that sometimes we're talking in an echo chamber to people that already maybe are interested in improving their sustainable practices. Do you have any examples of times where you were able to, I don't know, maybe through talking with users for you, Jack, of like, discovering people who weren't really interested in the topic and then became interested or, you know, any other examples of when you were able to pull in people that maybe weren't so aware and actually changed their opinion? Definitely. I mean, we probably see this on a daily basis at Klarna. I think one of the nice examples of this is we, we, we tend to get certain individuals who, who maybe have said, and they've actively voiced, I, I really don't care about sustainability or this isn't for me. And then as, as soon as they discover. Uh, kind of what we're doing within the app. There, there is something that switches and it, it, it's quite a nice moment. It's uh, knowing that someone has outed themselves and said, like, I really don't care. Uh, and then coming in and saying, oh, actually that, that's quite interesting. And what, what you're showing me it ha- has triggered something that, that that's made them just slightly reconsider their, their shopping behavior. And a nice example of that, uh, we, we had someone who was, it was very much in that scenario or set up. And they weren't aware that emissions could be caused in other way, in any other way than just the shipping process. And for them, just kind of seeing that CO2 breakdown and explaining that there are multiple parts of that life cycle that contribute to these emissions. That was, that was kind of like a real eye opener. I, I completely agree with that. I, I think it isn't going to be that sudden shift in getting a sort of a non-converted to suddenly think, oh, yes, yeah, sustainability, it's this great thing I need to get behind there, but it's those sort of really small incremental changes and in that sudden like change of, I guess, uh, habitual nature and you've always done something, oh, maybe I'll try this. That makes perfect sense. Why would I not consider that? And it's, how do you speak to those audiences? And again, a lot of the time it's sort of diluting some of the terminology and the language that's sort of bogged down in sustainability and making that sort of as friendly as possible and as understandable as possible. I think in what we do, 
as Jack sort of said, right at the start of this episode, it's sustainability is complex. It's massively complicated. There's no one solution to fix it, but it's those really sort of small, understandable or basic sort of steps that you can do. And if you can make those as easy as possible through whatever sort of creative output that is, and you can make that as easy as possible for somebody to get behind and do and implement in their life, then together they're going to have massive impact and they're going to get people on that sort of first step forward to, I guess, their journey of what a sustainability, what a sustainable, sorry, life looks like to them. Jack, I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners would, would look at Klarna, which is a shopping app, uh, and feel that we are not the most sustainable company. So do you feel that the work that you've done is combating that or how do you feel about that? But I also, I mean, from my perspective, I work in the, the banking side. So we work a little bit with the savings accounts mm-hmm. and we also sometimes get some some feedback about the fact that, you know, Clarnet is an app normally that is used to consume more, to make it easier to shop, easier to consume. While there's initiatives within the company that are, example, our team, which is about saving money and not spending, and potentially your team and sustainability teams that are for being more conscious in your decisions. So, so how do you feel about those, those, those conflicting agendas, maybe? Within? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. Personally, I love that aspect of the role. It's, uh, yeah, it, it is quite controversial, right? It's, I feel like we are very much a small startup within Kalana and yeah, our, our views are very conflicting in, in, in some respect, uh, Kalana definitely values sustainability, but yeah, it's like, like you said, we've got many divisions to the business and ultimately we, we are also helping drive sales for merchants and, and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's like, how, how can we do both at the same time, create an amazing shopping experience, but also make sure that it's a sustainable one. And it's, it's, it's one that's yeah, it doesn't kind of get laced and greenwashing in. And we are driving sustainability within the business because we want to, not as a, a marketing ploy or a, a tactic. And we're, we're pushing that even further now. What we're starting to do is educate other teams. It's, it's how can you embed what we're working on into various sections of the app or the website and just work out like, yeah, how we can just build almost all employees' knowledge of sustainability. And just make sure that when they are designing or when they're writing or building content, it, in the back of their mind, they've, they've got this almost like this metaphorical checklist. It's like, cool, is it going to do X, Y, and Z? But also, where does it look from a sustainability standpoint? And is it hitting our goals for, from that side of things? But it's, a, it's definitely a challenge, but it, it's nice to, to be able to push back occasionally and, and just, just start creeping our toes forward to yeah, being a bit more brave and radical and, and, and challenging some opinions now and again. Um, I hope that answered your, your question. Yeah, to start, both of you mentioned how it feels sometimes now that there's still so much sustainability, such a large topic, so much that can be done and also so many things happening at the same time. For like both of your work, do you, do you feel more optimistic now about the way things are going? Do you feel like things are maybe easier than they used to be, harder than they used to be, more inspired, less inspired? Yeah, it's a t- tough, tough question. I, I, I would say I'm certainly inspired. I think we mentioned it a few times on the call. You, you do see you are making change, which is good. And you can see mindsets kind of shifting for sure. Yeah, I get, I guess actually working in sustainability, like, yeah, may, maybe you come in thinking like, oh, I'm going to be able to change the world and I'll change it in a day. But in reality, there are kind of lots of pressing issues happening in the world and you see that all the time. And I, I guess like a, a big struggle that probably a lot of the public face are, yes, they are aware of climate change and yes, they, they know they need to act in more sustainable ways or, or lower the impact of, of their actions. But there are also far more pressing issues or issues that feel far closer to them that 
they have to react to. And I, I think as a result, like at the moment, sustainability gets pushed aside a little bit. I, I would say people are, are well aware of what's happening. It's just, it, it feels like a faraway problem. And it'll be interesting to see how that perception changes. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, it feels like, I don't know that it's getting easier at all, but it does feel like there's a bit of a shift in mentality. I, I think now that we're we're experiencing issues with climate change firsthand. We're, we're seeing that species have either become extinct or so the polar ice caps have melted or the, so the global temperature has now increased and we're massively beyond sort of targets. There's no going back anymore. We're sort of fully in this. And I think people are starting to realize that it's not a case of we've got 20 years to fix this. We're well past that now. So we are sort of really in the thick of it. And it does feel like there's a bit of a mentality change across sort of all generations and sort of walks of life. But I, I think to Jack's point, there are other pressing issues that are coming out. The world is still a massively complicated place. And for a lot of people, sustainability won't be their sort of first, first issue that they've got to tackle. And I guess with sort of that common thread of being in an echo chamber to even consider sustainability is quite a privileged sort of thing to do for most people. You need to be in quite a privileged place to factor in how are you going to make more sort of sustainable efforts in your everyday life. And I think that's why it's so important for pieces of communication, whether that's at an agency point of view or sustainability efforts sort of in-house as a brand to really cut through that noise and speak to those sort of wider circles and make it as easy as possible for those people who maybe haven't got a sort of access to make those larger sustainable chase choices sort of or efforts, but just to get on the radar of those people, just sat in the background that it can be a sort of really easy step or you can get involved. You don't need to necessarily spend money, but just trying to widen that audience as much as possible, but also realize that some people are completely different sort of planes and sort of points of access to a sustainable way of living. Yeah, I think that's a super important point because yeah, I think there's, that's, there's so many different barriers I think people have in regards to how they can be more sustainable. And I definitely feel it's probably our, our, all of our jobs as, as creatives and the work that we're doing to figure out what context everyone is, is in in order to guide them in the right direction and figure out what is, what are those actionable things that they can do that are the most actionable and, and plausible for them. So that's a, that's a good point. So again, I, I feel like I keep saying this at the end of each of the podcasts that I just go off a whole nother full podcast season, just talking about some of the, the smaller things we talked about. So I don't want to bring up any family drama. But I am curious if either one of you feel that, you know, do you have any conversations at the dinner table of which one of you is being the more sustainable or doing, you know, the most, the better impact on, on the, on the environment compared to the other one? I mean, it's, it's so hard to compare, <laughs> isn't it? And you, you, you probably also like as a designer, you probably know all too well, you, you work on a million things at once and some mm. of those things you're super proud of. And some of them are very shocking with the results. Maybe you, you didn't think it was going to be so successful. It, it really was a, a, a huge success, but yeah, I, I think it's a, maybe a bit unfair to compare and say who, who's having the, the best impact. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's completely different. I, I think there are probably cool, cool stuff we're, we're both doing in each of our roles that could maybe be just incorporated or we could learn from each other in, in, from, from certain stuff we've done. Um, and in general, I feel like that about the industry. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be super competitive. It doesn't have to be who can outdo this company or who, who's launching the best, coolest feature. It, it should really be a very open playing field. And, and, and that's what I'm seeing actually at the moment. We have a lot of partners who come in and work with us and the, the information sharing is, is, is quite cool. And yeah, I, I guess everyone in sustainability is still learning. It's such a new, it's, it's not super new. It's just. People are taking it far more seriously now. And as a result, there's, there's lots of learnings to be had. And so 
I think the more sharing, the better. And everyone seems really open to it as well. No, I, I, I completely agree there. I think even at the initial point of being competitive, I, I think we're both always sort of hungry to do the best work we can. As a designer, you're only ever as good as the sort of last piece of work you sort of put out in the world. So yeah, we're always pushing each other in that space. But I guess as sort of Jack alluded to, that we're all in sustainability with we're trying to reach the same goal. We're trying to have the same sort of efforts and impact. And so, yeah, th there is a certain sort of openness and sort of a real feeling of collaboration within the, in the industry where everyone wants everyone to succeed. Because again, it's going to benefit all of us if we do. Yeah, it feels great. I mean, I think it's, it's super encouraging to hear that the, the community is so supportive and that it's not this competitive nature. Because I think to each of your points, the, the point is that you want to make small little changes, collective change, you know, to each individual, for larger movement forward. So of course, I feel like it makes sense that if anyone else who's towards the same goal needs help, you know, you helping each other is going to get, get everyone towards that, that larger goal built faster. So that's, that's awesome to hear. So again, I thank you so much for the both of you for, for chatting with me. It's been super interesting. I, I will put myself in that role of someone who would love to do more work with sustainability and it's not something that's in my current role, but I am always very curious about, about what can be done. So I think I'm hoping whoever listens in will, will also get, you know, interested in and see what more that they can do. But yeah, that's, that's all we got. Thank you thank so you. much. Uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. It's been a really interesting conversation and Jack, I'll see you at Christmas. <laughs> 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 uh, thanks so much. Yeah. Pleasure. The Sender is sponsored by the design team at Klarna. It's produced by Jumotran Lachon, Francesca Cutulo, Melanie Lovebird, Anusha Hussain, and Rachel Rosenson. To learn more about your regular career paths on the Klarna design team, head to klarna.com careers. A special thanks to Aljan Högström for having music throughout this episode. Got questions you want to hear other designers answer? Write us at thesender at klarna.com. See you next time!